You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast, weekly produced by the Labor Radio Podcast Network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock. Today's a special strike edition of the show. From the BCTGM Voices Project, an update on the five-month-old strike against international flavors and fragrances by local 390G of the bakery workers in Memphis, Tennessee. But it's, it's all worth it to me because I, I understand that the fight is, is just bigger than us right now. You know, it's, it's, it seems to be, to me, it's, it's just a countrywide fight and it's necessary. Teachers walked out on Wednesday in Portland, Oregon, the first time they've ever struck. So we're bringing OEA Grow, the podcast from the Oregon Education Association, back for the second week in a row with their special bonus episode talking with educators from the Portland Association of Teachers about the conditions that led to the Portland walkout. The time is now. The money is here now. Our students can't wait. Our students deserve high-quality public education, and our teachers deserve the funding and support necessary to give students that. Next up, we have two reports on the historic win at the Big Three automakers by the United Auto Workers. First, we'll hear about life on the picket line on the UAW 1700 podcast. Even without the ponchos, when we ran thin towards 3 o'clock in the morning, Y'all was out there like straight up soldiers and gangsters and thugs. And I want to tell you, I appreciate it. Then what's in the new auto contracts? We find out on the Heartland Labor Forum. The 25% gains are higher than at any point in, in my entire career, which is 16 years. I mean, these are these are record gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, the details that, that we've seen that have been made public from Ford and Stellantis are really great sticking points, you know, right to whether it's the right to strike over investments or right to strike over uh, plant closures. Uh, those were are, are huge, huge, huge wins for any labor organization. Our last segment is about yet another strike, this one from 1921, when striking drivers dumped thousands of gallons of milk, that's right, milk, on the streets of New York City. The striking milk drivers were angered because distributors had proposed cutting their wages as much as 20%. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1835. That was the day that workers in Philadelphia organized what was the first general strike in North America. Their call was for the 10-hour day. The Philadelphia strikers were influenced by earlier actions in Boston. Carpenters in Boston had gone on strike for the 10-hour day as early as 1825. The workers in Boston declared, We have been too long subjected to the odious, cruel, unjust, and tyrannical system which compels the operative mechanic to exhaust his physical and mental powers. We have rights and duties to perform as American citizens and members of society, which forbid us to dispose of more than 10 hours for a day's work. 
It was Irish workers on the Schuylkill River coal wharfs who started the Philadelphia strike. Printers, carpenters, and city employees soon joined the cause. In all, 20,000 workers walked off the job and idled the city. The Germantown Telegraph fretted for the well-being of the workers printing. The brevity of only a 60-hour work week would be harmful to workers. That all the extra time would be applied to useless and unworthy purposes. After only one week, the city caved into the demands of the striking workers. Workers would henceforth work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with one hour off for lunch and one for dinner. The success of the general strike electrified the labor movement and a wave of strikes swept the East Coast. By the following year, the 10-hour day was the standard for skilled workers. In 1840, President Martin Van Buren instituted the 10-hour day for federal employees. In our present day, with the increasing attempts to weaken the power of workers and their unions, we must remember our history and our past successes. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. This is the BCTGM Voices Project. At the time of this recording, members of BCTGM Local 390G are approaching their fifth month on strike against international flavors and fragrances in Memphis, Tennessee. We first heard from these workers who produce soy protein ingredients for brands like Nestle Purina, Cargill, and Kellogg Company at the end of June when they reported their theory that the company's main intent was to break the union rather than bargain in good faith. That goal seems clearer than ever four months later as we sat down once more to get an update from the workers, their lead negotiator, BCTGM International Rep. Jason Thomas, as well as BCTGM International Secretary Treasurer David Woods, who has reached out to the company's attorney and top executives to no avail. Here are their stories. I'm Jason Thomas. I'm the BCTGM International Representative. Cedric Wilson, I'm the local 390G union president. I'm Kevin Passaretti. I am local 390G shop sir. I'm QA analyst one, and I've been one for 35 years with the company. And Cedric, you work there too, right? Yes, ma'am. I'm a 10-year 10 10 year operator one. I'm David Woods. I'm international secretary treasurer. Uh, of the BCTGM. The BCTGM, right. right. So, Jason, you're the lead negotiator on this contract. Correct. Uh, Can you you just remind us what we're holding the line for on what issues specifically? So some of the issues where they were trying to take away overtime after eight, uh, paid lunch breaks, they were trying to take that with away from us. They were trying to take our benefits and make changes after 30 days. So they, they wanted to, with a 30-day notice, they could be able to change our benefits. So Kevin and, and Cedric, um, I know you guys are being strong and you're doing what you have to do. But, you know, is there any, like, personal update that you can give just to provide some some perspective on uh, how this is impacting your families at this point? You know, it's, it's impacting me a lot, you know, personally. You know, I've, you know, I always make the joke that, man, I, I do more work now than I had when I was, when I was in the plant, right? You know, uh, but it's, it's all worth it to me because I, I understand that the fight is, is just bigger than us right now. You know, it's, it's, it seems to be, to me, it's, it's just a countrywide fight and it's necessary. So, you know, you just some somebody just got to suck it up and go ahead and do it. So it's kind of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
And, it, and from my end, you know, my spouse is worried, you know, is this is a very unsure time for us. You know, we've been married 25 years and, you know, this is the most severe things have gotten, you know, you, you don't know, you live in day to day more than what, when you have your job is secure. And be honest with you, this is worth, still worth it because I don't want to give up all those benefits. You know, they're asking me to give up roughly twelve to $13,000 worth of benefits and there's no compensation, you know, what, just for a job? I could do that. Yeah. So Secretary Treasurer Woods, you have been down there walking the line with these guys. Uh, I know that you've also done what you can to try to, you know, reach out to CEO and their company lawyers, and you just haven't had any success with that. Do you want to kind of elaborate on those things? Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Yeah, um, I have been down the picket line a few times, and and I have to say the guys down there are holding up pretty good. The company, first of all, created the strike. They're the ones that caused it, uh, all the takeaways and and the uh, the way they came into bargaining. If you've watched any other pod, uh, the podcast prior to this, you'll see that uh, the company came in with no proposals, and their intent was to not get a contract and and to take or or take away everything that's meaningful to the worker. And uh, so the company created the strike. They caused this. The workers <laughs> held out way over a year. Uh, trying to bargain in good faith, and the company came to the table not one time bargaining in good faith to get a fair, equitable contract uh, with this with the with their workforce. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for this, um, and thanks for everyone who tuned in. Thank you. Right. Thank See ya. For more on the activities of the BCTGM, go to bctgm.org. member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. In this very special bonus episode, we hear from educators in the Portland Association of Teachers who are on the cusp of the first ever strike in PAT history. An increase in educator pay and instructional planning time would mean higher quality instruction for our students and teachers who are not burnt out and have the capacity to give their students that one-on-one -on -one support that they need. Okay, so what has this school year been like? This school year has been a really tough school year. I, I have a really big caseload of students uh, and had been trying to split myself into many different places in the building uh, with not enough time to do it. What does that mean for students? It means that students receive less and less of the support they need because I need to serve so many of them. When I think of safe and equitable schools, I think of schools with culturally competent, uh, culturally relevant curriculum, 
I think of small class sizes. I think of schools that are free of mold and rats, building temperatures that folks between 70 degrees and just 70 degrees, not uh, 50 degrees in the winter and 90 to 100 degrees in the summer. Um, I think of enough teachers and supports to provide our students what they need. The hard part about being a special ed teacher is like one of the hard things is like getting emails from the district saying that they're pulling another support and that I have to do another job. Um, I'm in charge of writing IEPs, I'm in charge of testing, I'm in charge of instruction, I'm in charge of monitoring every single goal I have on my caseload, which can be over a hundred goals, easy, easy over a hundred goals every single quarter. And to get an email like we just did that the district is changing how they are providing behavior supports um, is really demoralizing because the district is like, well, you can use your school psychs. I'm like, my school psych is drowning in evaluations. The vast majority of their teachers are putting in a ton of energy and time and effort to do what's best for the kids, um, but those teachers are leaving. We've had a lot of good teachers leave because they're exhausted and burnt out because they want to do what's best for kids and they know they can't continue to do that sustainably. I think one of the most important things about what we as a union are fighting for um, for the benefit of our students is we're asking for manageable caseloads and classroom sizes and planning time so that we can do the work necessary to give our students the quality and equitable education that they deserve. The time is now. The money is here now. Our students can't wait. Our students deserve high quality public education and our teachers deserve the funding and support necessary to give students that. So why are you out here ready to strike? We need safe schools. We're, we're here for the kids. I want to do the best I can to meet their needs and our caseloads are unfeasible. Like What the district is asking from us, it's not okay. I don't have enough plan time. I don't have enough resources. It's not safe. I'm exhausted and I just, I want the best for our students. They deserve us, you know, to be ready. They deserve resources. They show up every day. We also need to show up every day ready to serve them. So, I'm here to strike because our elementary schools and middle schools are overcrowded. There should not be 33 kids in a kindergarten or first grade class, ever. And it's just across the board what's happening in our district and it's unacceptable.
Local 1700 brothers and sisters, we back on the podcast. As promised, I told you um, about three or four days ago that we was going to be right back at it. Ain't that right, Ryan? That's right. That's right. Got Theron Jackson with me. And, of course, as always, our leader for Local 1700, our leader at SHOP, um, Brother President Charles Bell. What's going on, Bell? Hey, hey. Good uh, good afternoon, membership. Hey. And I missed out on the last podcast. Podcast, but um, I'm here today. <laughs> but they told, to Trinidad, here. they told me you was in Trinidad, man. They told me you was in Trinidad somewhere. I, I wish I was in Trinidad yeah. versus where, where I really was. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, it's glad to have you back on the podcast. But I want to jump right into what's going on right here today because that's what everybody I know tuning in and for. We out in strike. We out there. Y'all said, hey, y'all was ready. We out there. We out there pounding the pavement. Last night it rained. It rained. It rained. Yes, and did. we were out there. Wow. Actually, I want to say I'm proud of what I saw last night. Definitely. It was wet. Even when we ran out of ponchos. Yes, we got another order of ponchos. It will be touching deck today. I know the next couple of nights is going to be dry. But even without the ponchos, when we ran thin towards 3 o'clock in the morning, y'all was out there like straight up soldiers and gangsters and thugs. And I want to tell you, I appreciate it. What I saw when I stopped at every stop was full of solidarity. What you mean you stopped at every stop? Oh, so I made my rounds just like we all been doing it. You been doing it. Jamel been doing it. All the committee been doing it. All throughout the day. You ain't been just sitting in the office behind no desk? Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 These last 72 hours, you know, because you was with me. First 48 hours, we all was up 24 hours, 48 hours, no sleep. So you mean to tell me you been on strike too? I've been on strike and getting strike pay. That's what I'm. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, he's right. We all get straight. Yeah. We are. We are not the leadership that's sitting behind no desk pushing no buttons on no phone. If we calling you for strike assignments, we got a picket sign in our hand, horns blowing in the background, and we giving y'all an assignment because we on an assignment times three. And don't get it confused when I say don't get it confused. We are getting straight paid. We just like you. We, we're getting five hundred dollars. A week, we had to register just like everybody else, even though we're doing 24, 48 hours, even though we ran th- 10,000 hats because we say, hey, we're elected, we stepping up to the mic. Definitely, definitely. I just want to say shout out to the entire membership. Mm-hmm. Definitely last night was a trying time. We seen y'all out there. It was just as cold as the first night that we went out. And then with the wind blowing, and we just, I seen still smiles. I just want to say, let's keep those smiles. Let's remember that we're fighting for the same thing. And the person to your left and to your right, that's your brother and sister. They ain't, they're not the reason we out here. So what I seen, it was a proud moment. I want to say, let's keep going. And we're going to just stand together. And I want to give a shout out to the um, registration. And I'm going to tell you, I was nervous. Oh, I called yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, bro. The line is around the building. I saw it. They finna put us out this building, though. <laughs> Two days in a row, right? Yeah, yeah. Two days in a row. But I want to give a shout out to them because that line was moving fast and efficient. Yeah, that's true. It was out the, I mean, you, you got 6,000 people cramming in two days, right? Mm-hmm. To get registered. And they were out there wrapped around the building. I called you. I was in a panic. That team did an excellent job. Yeah. But if you was on that team, you know who you are. I told y'all as we walked through yeah. the building, my daughter told y'all yesterday, great job. It was like a rare pair of sneakers was coming out, and y'all had the line moving. Yeah. I'm just speaking my language, that sneaker language. Any sneakerhead out there know what them lines look like when the yeah. rare joints coming out. When the day that we got the call to go out on strike, did kind of set us off as being and surprised us. Yeah, it was it was, it was shit. Eight. It was ten what ten to fifteen minutes before yeah, it's in, a, in, in the morning. Yeah. Though. So historically, it's always been eleven fifty nine at night, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you could you didn't have to worry about it throughout yeah. the day. 
when you get closer to the evening, now you need to be on your on your piece of cues. So when they called me and said, Hey, uh, are you uh, in your office at the plant? And I'm like, uh, down the hall, somewhat what you need. Um, we about to pull your people out. What time? <laughs> Ten minutes from now. <laughs> yeah, what's up, Mike? Get, get everybody in the room. Yeah, we, yeah. we gotta go. Yeah. You get we had three minutes to explain it to the stewards. Yeah. And then we went to the floor and got him out. Yeah. Are you call me King Petty? I'll take it today. Right, you go, I'm King. on my mess. I'm this is me. But that being said, Deuces Local Brothers, Deuces Local 1700 Brothers and Sisters. See you out there on that strike line. Deuces, have enjoy your day. Have a great day. Drops of water, turn a mill. Singling on, singling on. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. We're going to go to my interview that I did Wednesday with Dante Wilson, the president of UAW Local 31 at GM. Welcome to the show, Dante. Thanks you for having me. This is a big deal. They're saying it's historic and that you've got way more than you've gotten for the past 20 years or so. Are you excited about this deal? You know, listen, after you've done this now twice in the last four years for, uh, over 40 days the first time and now 46 days, I would say cautiously optimistic. Do you have an overall impression in terms of how much progress you've made? What our president, Sean Fain, said is is factual. The 25% gains are higher than at any point in, in my entire career, which is 16 years and, you know, dating back to well over 30 years. So that's a factual statement. I mean, these are these are record gains. Uh, some of the, the details that, that we've seen that have been made public from Ford and Stellantis are really great sticking points, you know, right to whether it's the right to strike over investments or right to strike over uh, plant closures. Uh, those were, are, are huge, huge, huge wins for any labor organization. And it's a, a great way for us to uh, exert some some kind of a uh, uh, power or you know just our collective power i should say on the company and when they try to do things that we deem to be unfair so even down to winning cola back which is something that that you know for years seemed like a pipe dream now it's a, a real reality so there's no doubt about the factual statement these are record gains uh mm -hmm. one way or enough another right so whether or not that's enough that'll be uh, for the membership to decide. Why do you think GM settled? Well, I think when you have the organizing uh, machine that that is the UAW, and I mean that from the rank and file to their families, to their friends, to the businesses that we support, to the organizations that we are a part of, the churches and everything, right? When you have density, this is what you get. When you think about, you know, whether you're talking about politics or social, you either have money or you have people for the most part. Uh, very, very rarely do you have a marriage of both money and people. Uh, what the UAW and organized, and, and organized labor represents is density, people. Uh -huh. And you saw that mobilized in, in, a, in, a, in a great way since, you know, maybe not seen since uh, Walter Ruther in the 60s. So that is what you saw. So you and think you had to go ahead. Yeah, so you think the level of mobilization that the UAW did 
was a significant factor in getting this kind of a deal? Absolutely. I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, you don't you don't get what we you don't get the offers that we have currently. Thanks, Dante. Appreciate it. And now we're just going to hear, hear from Sean Fain, president of the UAW International. We went to each of the big three and proposed an expiration date of April 30th, 2028. We did this for several reasons. First, this allows us to strike on May Day or International Workers Day. May Day was born out of an intense struggle by workers in the United States to win an eight hour day. That's a struggle that is just as relevant today as it was in 1889. Even though May Day has its roots here in the United States, it is widely celebrated by workers all over the world. It's more than just a day of commemoration. It's a call to action. We invite unions around the country to align your contract expirations with our own so that together we can begin to flex our collective muscles. If we're going to truly take on the billionaire class and rebuild the economy so that it starts to work for the benefit of the many and not the few, then it's important that we not only strike, but that we strike together. You have been listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss, and you can talk back to us, too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to heartlandlaborforumkkfi at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1921. That was the day the New York Times headline proclaimed striker rioting all over the city, dumped thousands of gallons of milk, Highland threatens to seize plants. Highland refers to New York City Mayor John Francis Highland. Confrontations erupted between police and strikers leading to multiple arrests. The striking milk drivers were angered because distributors had proposed cutting their wages as much as 20%. Milk by the thousands of gallons were taken from the trucks and stores and dumped into the streets. Non-striking drivers, as well as milk dealers, were stoned and beaten. Meanwhile, not letting a good crisis go to waste, storekeepers profited mightily from the strike, gouging consumers as much as 40 cents for a quart of milk, what at the time represented as much as a 300% increase. The New York Times article noted the health commissioner said that some complaints had been registered with his department and he would act if profiteering became a menace. By November 26th, it was reported that 80% of milk was back being delivered as the drivers' protests dwindled. The post-World War I period was a time of prosperity in the United States, but not for everyone. The wealthy did very well. Speakeasies flourished, making many gangsters and bootleggers prosperous. However, ordinary working people still had a hard life. There were many labor strikes during the 20s. Some of the most notable were the 1920 Matawan coal miners strike in West Virginia, the 1928 Massachusetts textile strike, and the 1929 North Carolina textile mill strike. Sadly, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Today, we have a growing divide between the wealthy and the working class. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Thank you.
And that's going to do it for this special strike edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a tiny sample of the programs aired last week on more than 200 labor radio and podcast shows across the country. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. Thank you, Patrick. I produce the show, and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. 